Welcome to May We Recommend, a show where we talk about movies, music, and more. And I'm joined by Otis uh, with Sean. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Not too bad. And Otis, how you doing? Oh, buddy. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's how we're starting it. Coming in hot. We're, we're doing LA Confidential today. Yeah. Yeah. And we all watched it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So... Um, you guys, we hit the lowest marks of a recommendation. <laughs> We've actually all seen the film. Yeah. So, okay, on this one, now, we are getting into a bunch of movies that we wanted to pick, and it was kind of off of a list sure. of, like, holiday movies. And it was like, oh, yeah, I remember Elliot Confidential being pretty well-outed, and I saw it when it came out, and it's telling me it's a holiday movie. So... Let's do L.A. Confidential. Sure. It's about a holiday movie for 15 minutes. (laughs) uh, I mean, they mention Christmas. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are, there is a Christmas tree and Christmas lights. There is a Christmas tree. Like, Mm -hmm. the Christmas lights, I'd say, even are part of the narrative of the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have a whole headline about it being Christmas, so... There you go. There's it, it's it's as much a Christmas movie as Die Hard. <laughs> uh, I guess we should get a little bit into the plot, like you know, since we're on it. Uh, it's really just a movie about police corruption and uh, foes becoming allies and uh, trying to, yeah, and I think also um, honor and corruption. Right? I mean, that's the main theme. Oh, sure. And like, also like the role of law, right? Mm-hmm. They they play a lot with, like whether it's more noble to stick to the books, or whether there's room for um, vigilantism. Thank you. Yeah, it, I, I think that there is something that like we like the gritty. We like where we turn the gray into more black and white. Ooh, see, I would describe that exactly the opposite. Oh, no. See, I think what it takes is, like, you're playing in this area (laughs) of where, like, you may have to sacrifice some morals or um, beliefs in order for justice to be done. Or you can take a hard line, and it's either good or bad, and make that the truth. And so I think vigilantes go black and white. You're bad. I'm good. I oh, you know. So I would actually agree with Lair that absolutely. So whereas they do like they operate in the grayness of law necessarily, mm-hmm. but I do think that they self imbue this good and this black and white extremism. <laughs> yeah, I like confidential. Um, A fine... All I can say is. Rolo Tomasi. Yes. (laughs) You know, I did actually kind of like that as a narrative device. Well, I'll (laughs) tell you what. In this movie, every, like, uh, Chekhov would love this movie. Everything that's set up in the beginning pays off in the end. Absolutely, man. You get to see the 
the rifle in use every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> like, um, so they'll do a tip off, like just in the very beginning of the movie, he's like the the chief of police who's played by James Cromwell, who's doing a fantastic Irish accent. Uh, Atrocious. <laughs> what do you mean, boyo? What do you mean, boyo? Like, come oh, on. Oh, they're after me, lucky charms. <laughs> like, so... tell me that's not how Irish talk. Well, <laughs> What are you talking about? Would you like a potato? <laughs> like I'm having some tay. Like he would do these huge swings in between oh, like big swings. Like not nearly Irish enough to just like buffoon Irish. Just too <laughs> much. Yeah. Oh, the missus making some cocanin. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. But oh yeah, no, not a bad movie, right? No, no. I'm going to say this right up top. I liked this movie so much more than the first time I saw it. Like I got into this film when I was watching it, and I was like, "This is a good piece of work." <laughs> it's not a bad. It's not a bad. Yeah, I I yeah. truly recommend this. Yeah, I I do too. Like it it starts off a little artsy. Mm-hmm. It gets to be an action movie. It has fun in its genre. And I stand by what I say about race and sexual play in this. I think for a movie that's a period piece that it is making a depiction of the time, the characters within it seem to have more sympathies towards those characters than they should. Now, does it play out well? No. But I thought that it was an interesting take to go with. You know, so regarding race, I yeah, there is definitely... I didn't feel that it was necessarily problematic regarding race. Yeah, I didn't. Right? Like, because we can go through history, we can pick up all sorts of stories where, like, African-American black people have been just ruined by the establishment in one form or another. You betcha. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Um, and I think they treat it pretty well. I do think regarding sexuality, there's a different, there's a sub story there. When I, and I was thinking about there this. Is. Yeah. There's a couple. There is. Yeah. Um, but one of the one that strikes me as most at issue is that this hmm. is a story, a story who this character loathes yeah. the beating of women. Yes, that's right. So, but again, uh, this is a checkoff thing, for sure. But also in that, there's the telling of. So, what does it take to make a fella who, as a boy, was chained to a radiator and watched his mother be beat to death, who, by all accounts, hates beaters? So, what mm-hmm. does it take for this fella to tune up a gal? Now, I agree with you. That part made me very sad. Sure. It shows that that character has become broken. Now, could they have done that in a different way? Yes. But it's a shorthand. You know, they they took a quick route to getting you to tell you the point of where, you know, his he was past his breaking point. You know? Right. And it wasn't it wasn't good. No. But like they set it up, it's in the movie, so that like he's he's a champion of women, 
who are abused and then uh he becomes an abuser himself you know and that that's a story in and of itself because abuse happens it does and i mm. think to eradicate something we need to understand it to a certain degree see i, I think that the storyline would have played out better or at least um have more of a redemption arc if at the end they didn't get together bingo that is my biggest problem with that right it was like yeah that's her sub story where she's abused she's abused she's abused she falls in love with a right abuser who still abuses her and then they live happily ever after yeah right there's some there's a little bit there that I'm not comfortable with, for sure. All right, I'll give you that. I mean, I mean, um, I I just thought that like, and you know, to head this off, I want to say we have to separate some art from artists in here, <laughs> for sure. Because I'm going to go down a line saying that Kevin Spacey did an amazing job in this film. Yeah, I really oh. like his character. Like, you know, I did too. I did too. I, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not wrong in this. Kevin Spacey was a big actor during the 90s. Oh, you know, and it was for a reason. Gigantic, right? Like American Beauty. People are like, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know Stunning film. Like, it is one of Sean's, he is one of Sean's favorite characters, actors. Um, <laughs> well, I and, knew uh, you were going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we were talking off Mike, and his favorite yeah, movie is K Pax. Here we go. Real quick, I just right. wanted to say I really love the fact that Otis, when you described that whole event with Russell Crowe, you said he tuned her up, which I thought was a just nice use of like noir language. It <laughs> <laughs> really tuned her up. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's how it would have been described at the time. That all no, no, I, I, I actually, yeah, no, actually, totally. Like, you made something unpleasant, you know, kind of at least. Th that's the why we call him Little James Elroy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Kevin Spacey did fine. Yeah, he's a disgusting person, but I mean, he's a great actor. So um, again, yeah. that's not what you were saying off mic. <laughs> well, no one would know that if you didn't say it. <laughs> well, we were, I said, hey, let's reach a baseline on who we think, you know, what movies we think are great and uh, who our favorite actors are. And you put K-Pax and Kevin Spacey at the top. Well, yeah, K-Pax is the apex. <laughs> the K-Pax, if you would. The K-Pax. Thank you, Otis. Yes. Yes, quite right. <laughs> um, so here's, and I don't know if this is podcast worthy or not, mm -hmm. uh, but something interesting. So this is actually the first film that I watched of Kevin Spacey since all the Kevin Spacey stuff happened. Yes. Um, legitimately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just I haven't been watching a lot of film. I don't want to make a stand politically about it one way or another. Uh, well, it's to say that I don't appreciate abuse, of course. But besides that, but anyway, long and short of it, <laughs> <laughs> what a weird angle not to take a stand on. You're like you're no champion for saying that it's terrible, but when you say I can't take a stand on it, whoa. <laughs> well, well, now I feel like. 
because Otis has said he doesn't like abuse by virtue of him saying that, it means we do like abuse. <laughs> well, he didn't. No, he didn't commit to not liking abuse. He was wishy-washy on it. <laughs> yeah, but then he goes, "Well, yeah, I don't." Well, like if abuse. I'm hanging out with you two, come on. <laughs> I guess we should oh, say also true. we don't like abuse. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I think that goes without saying. So much of this is not making the cut because, um, all the Kevin Spacey stuff aside, like, uh, it it was hard at first to watch the movie knowing what looked in it, but then I got into the movie itself and I was like, you know what? It's pretty fun. Like, I, I like the team ups, the different team ups that are happening throughout the film. Guy Pierce plays a tool all the way through, <laughs> like, but. <laughs> And he does mm-hmm. it so well that I believe that might be his character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do we love corruption stories? Oh, I think so. I mean, that's why we watch politics these days. I suppose. You know. What does that like, say I think about forever. us that we love corruption stories? Or is it just the idea of like... It's not the corruption stories. I don't think it's... We don't like the corrupt. We like the justice that served to the corrupt. By the vigilantes. I guess that's... By the vigilantes. Right. Yeah. I mean, so... Or by a good law. Like, look at how many law dramas there are on television or movies. You know, like John Grisham, right? He made an entire career off of this. <laughs> For sure. And has told some decent love stories. People just sir. Right. Yeah. I mean, but... I guess that's true. I mean, look at Perry Mason. Like, all the way up to 12 Angry Men. Right? How mm-hmm. far back do you want to go? Like, so much of our narrative is based around weeding well, out. Even, yeah, I mean, like, look look at um, uh, Great Expectations, right? That's a whole crime story in itself of sorts. Yeah, I'd say those are only surpassed by actually the vigilante stories like Batman and It That Injures. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. I think that the, in our pantheon or mythos of uh, uh, storytelling, uh, we we have to include the the comic book characters because not only are they uh, enduring, like to today, we can't get enough of that stuff. Like we love a guy. Like, do they have to dress up in costumes? I don't think so. I think some of the better ones they don't. You know. But they're they're going out and dealing out that justice. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what might be done. Dress up. Uh, I don't know, Constantine. I I don't know. <laughs> He's. I didn't even. I guess they all kind of do. <laughs> I guess right, right. They all kind of. I mean, is that part and parcel with the thing? I was like, Mister E. No, he. Uh... <laughs> Mister E. I do like Constantine. I do like Constantine too. Uh, they're making a sequel to that movie. Um, God, this is gonna be so hard to edit with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, with Keanu Reeves. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Ian mm. Bishop. I got into a fight with Ian Bishop at Hastings over Constantine. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> you were saying it was a good movie. Yeah, I said it was good, and he liked uh, Electra with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait! You you like you liked Constantine the movie? Yeah. Oh wow! I was joking because it was bad. It's you a know, lot better. Electra. Yeah, well, yeah. 
But yeah. that doesn't take much. That was a that it, was well. Just that's terrible. what I was saying. I was like, "You like Electra?" He's like, "So what?" I'm like, it's <laughs> wait, does he like Electra, or did he just like Jennifer Gardner? I uh, I mean, that's fair, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and whatever. Like that's that's more than enough reason to like a film, I suppose. See, I was a huge Hellblazer comic fan. Right. Like, I have the entire run up to like over 200 wow. and um so when i saw that movie i was like this this is nothing like the comics mm-hmm. i mean it takes beats from the comics it sure does <laughs> i'm not gonna but like when they take the cancer out of john constantine he takes out a pack of silk cuts and smokes again there's no like anti-smoking campaign (laughs) (laughs) i mean but that was so on brand for the era when that movie came out though well no in the movie he gets gum right okay right like at well like when did constantine come out like 98 99 uh 2005 i think man time does funny things nowadays but i mean yeah i am not surprised because, uh, like, you know, we're still in the middle of a big, like, anti-smoking push. And rightfully so. Which, rightfully so, you right. know. Uh, I, I can't recommend anybody smoke cigarettes, that's for sure, or <laughs> anything at all in that matter. But, um, you know, like, but we're of the last era where you would go smoke in the mall. <laughs> oh. And so, like, there was that little bit of, like, coolness factor to it as well. We, it wasn't seen as gross as it is. Like, I mean, it was still kind of cool. I think it was just a little bit more romantic than it was disgusting. Yeah. I mean, but now... I think so, too. Yeah. And, like, now it's with the, like it's way more disgusting than it is romantic. But you'll still find some people who are like, yeah. Well, I you look crazy like a bad it. boy. If you go on to Isoteric Health Twitter, like a bunch of the weird lifters that like uh, give weird advice, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them are super pro smoking cigarettes. It's really funny, <laughs> <laughs> but it causes vascular issues. Oh, dude, it's it's fucking crazy. They just go okay. for it. They're like, yeah, okay, well, I, I can't. I don't. I don't know what that's come from, but we really should get back to the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> that we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a very interesting relationship I have with Kim Bassinger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was wondering if we were going to touch on that because I know that she was one of your biggest crushes when you were a child. You know, and she may have been my first like real significant crush your sexual awakening yes she Um, was close to mine yeah i mean she was i mean and stunning woman obviously right like unequivocally she's she's a stunning woman right kim bassinger in la confidential is the exact same age that i am now right and i thought like, hmm, she's looking a little older, but it would be perfectly age appropriate now, right? Like, we're sure. both 44. 
So like, of mm. course, I think she's stunning. So I'm wondering if some of that was the residual from when I first saw the film. And I thought, she's getting kind of old. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. I, I totally misunderstood in the beginning. When you were young, you thought she looked old in this right. movie. Right. And now as you're watching with fresh eyes and as an older person, you're seeing her at your age and saying, oh, she's looking pretty good. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, I mean, that, okay. yeah, like it's complex. It's a complicated relation because both of those things are like fitting inside of my viewing experience right now. Well, yeah, because I do think I it's interesting have... rewatching things that we love and like the lessons that they teach us at different stages of our lives. Yeah, you know, uh, I think this movie had a lot of little things to hold on to outside of like just who the actors were and how they looked. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like, um, I think that like movies are the same as that too. Like, we hold them different, or I guess books too. Um, I think they say this about Old Man in the Sea or what is it? You read it three times in your life and it has different attachments to you. Sure. You know, like I think when you revisit a movie like like this one, like I said, when I first watched it, was not a fan. I thought it was okay. You know, like I, I thought it was overhyped, but watching it this time, I'm like, this is a really fun show. I'm having a very good time <laughs> watching this. <laughs> Hey, you guys, I'm having a really good time right now. I think I may have said that out loud to my family. I'm watching it on my phone, and I'm like, this is a great film. (laughs) Yep. No, I I, I did. I thought it was a really good film, though. Like, uh, I, I I liked the twists that were happening in it as it was going along. Like I, I mentioned in the beginning, the like unusual alliances, but mm-hmm. that was really neat. You take this character who's real straight laced, and you watch him uh, start to play the game and become more corrupt. I guess as it goes towards the end, but still holding on to a little bit of the ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, "Well, you got to play their game, right?" And so, um, I, I thought that the team-ups that he would go through kind of also showed that journey going on, but it also had two parts to it. There was a deeper part to his joining with certain characters. Like, they played different different roles in the subplots, and that kind of gave some really good texture to the film. I think so, too. And I think a lot of that paralleled, but, like, mirrored, I guess, technically... Um, Russell Crowe's character, who started off in a a much dicier, like, grayer role. Right, yeah. And then he kind of centralized as well. Well, see, that was my problem with the, the beating, okay? You see him going through a redemption arc. Like, he's a pit bull, but then he starts to become a good cop. Right. You know, and he gets sick of beating up mobsters and he walks out at one point and he's talking about how he wants to be smarter and better at his job. And you see that growth as a character and then they break it, you know, right? And they bring him back to square one, but then he has a quick redemption within that. So like, I guess the forces are still fighting within him, you know, and then it just becomes an action movie. 
<laughs> well, okay, so what are the main, so the themes of the show, right? So everybody's got a redemption arc. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Except- well, you know, some of them, like Guy Pierce doesn't have so much a redemption arc as like the op- opposite. Well, he gets justice. Like, wait, am, am I thinking of the right guy? Guy Pierce plays, um, uh, give me a second well, here. X Lee. Yeah. Oh, that's the uh, dude in glasses. Right. The dude in glasses. Okay. The dude in you know, <sighs> I did like the running theme of him having a gun and not finding his glasses. That was, <laughs> it was a weird little subtle joke that went nowhere. <laughs> so not everything pays off. Take that, Chekhov. You know, I, yeah, that's right. You know, I suppose not, but I actually enjoyed that part of it too. Yeah, I mean, I guess it pays off in the joke of where uh, uh, Kevin Spacey's character is like, what are you looking for? And he's like, my glasses. And he's like, well, try not to shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for yeah, sure. So I, I guess there's a payoff there after all. Anyway, so yeah, everybody has a, an arc, we'll say. You know, whether it's sure. redemption or dissension. You know, I, so I would actually say that his character does have, a, like, I don't know. I think his character is the one that is the most complex. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right. And I'm curious, like, why why do you suppose the director chose to have him sleep with Basinger also? I think it would, like, if they had formed either a... More bitter rivalry uh, between Bud, Wendell Bud White's character, who was okay. played by Russell, Russell Crowe, Crow. yeah, um, to Edmund Uxley, who's played by Guy Pierce. If they those two characters were to have more play between each other, now they they were they had a lot of on screen time, but they didn't. There wasn't like a full-out rivalry or a full-on hatred. There was a hatred, but, like, I don't think that it was developed enough so that when it was that character who slept with his girlfriend that it made that breaking point even more bitter. I thought it was pretty pronounced when he said that um, Russell Crowe's partner deserved what he got. Oh, you know what? I completely forgot that. I I recant everything. Yeah. You're right. right. There's that whole scene about him kind of bashing on his partner. Well, yeah, he reveled in the that he died. Yeah. Like, that's pretty dirty. He gets his partner fired, then, like, he makes fun of him when he's dead. Yeah, Yeah. okay. And he says, I'd say then that's why um, they used him to break uh, Bud. You know, and it just, and I would agree, but it just seemed kind of clunky. It did seem a little clunky in the movie to me. Maybe because it was a something of convenience, like a like a convenient plot device. Maybe. Well, then I was just like, no, because like again, everything was being set up. Like Sean said, everything uh, between the two of them was being set up to that moment. Like, why would Kim Basinger do it, I guess? Well, you saw that 
um, her boss, I I forget his name, uh, the the heroin dealing billionaire or whatever he was. Right. Uh, right. He 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 calls her. You don't know if you don't know who he calls somebody, and uh, Danny DeVito, his character, uh, shows up there, mm. and uh, Sid Hud- Hudgens. Is that what his name was? No, oh, I think so. Something Sid. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Sid shows up uh, to take pictures. And I think he called uh, <laughs> his play, Kim Bessinger plays Lynn Bracken. Uh, and yeah. so I think he calls them both up to set up the sting, obviously, so that uh, he can put the, like, when they're torturing Danny DeVito in the, the near the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put that evidence in the car for him to find it to come and kill him. It's all part of an elaborate setup. A little too elaborate, yes, <laughs> but, but it's all part of that setup. That that to me feels like very noir. Yeah, like just over over setup. You know, I I don't know. I think it has a charm to it. Also, um, I noticed when Danny DeVito is interacting with Kevin Spacey near the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Uh, does, does, did Jeff Danny DeVito feel uh, short to you guys? No. Like, is, Danny he, is, DeVito, he, is he a little person? He's a very little person. But I mean, is he like... I think technically oh, he he's... classified. I, I yeah, think technically yeah. he's right on the line, right? Yeah. Like, like he's either a really short, normal person or really tall, little person. He's right. four foot ten. <laughs> I think so. Isn't that what the mark is? Four ten? I don't know if that's, is that a thing? I, I think there is a thing. <laughs> like, so I watch a lot of, actually, I think it's hilarious. I watch, I watch a lot of Sunny. Yeah. And he never feels that short. And I think it's because his character is so big. Like, Frank is a giant, right? Yes. But Absolutely. he doesn't have the presence of Frank in this movie. So he just No, he's playing a little smaller. sleazy guy. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I noticed his height more in this movie. And I was like, did they make him smaller? They they wouldn't have Spent time and energy on that, surely. No, I don't think they made him smaller, but I don't think that they do the angle. Like, I don't think they're shooting him. They're shooting him at, like, a higher angle. Right. You know, and so, like, I think in other film roles, obviously, they're, they've lowered the camera or, you know, put him on a yeah. box or something. You know, but, like, in this one, I think they... He was supposed to be exactly what he is. Now, imagine you know? if he took this story but replaced his character with Frank Reynolds. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, he wasn't too far off from a Frank Reynolds. <laughs> so, according to the Mayo Clinic... Uh, dwarfism <laughs> is generally defined as an adult height of four feet ten inches or less. Wow. Okay. So he's well, like he's on the line, right? So as he ages, he should technically be reclassified, right? I, I am uncomfortable with this. <laughs> <laughs> I Larry, don't think that's... 
I did like this movie. I love noir. I, I as I was watching it, like I honestly, I was. It made me chuckle several times because I was like, I bet you men love this. Like, because <laughs> it 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 feels it all the characters, and when I say that, like I I kind of made a joke out of it, but I gen genuinely it felt like something that you would have wanted to write. Um, yeah, it is absolutely. If I could, I mean, there's so many great writers out there. Dashiell Hammett, um, you know, I guess Jim Elroy is right up there. He's he's a weird dude who wrote really thuggish pieces of pulp fiction, uh, or even he says it's based on true stories. But like, uh, you know, like I like his style, and I right. love pulp, and I love noir. And this yeah. was right up my alley. Yeah. Well, I had forgotten, like, I knew that it was a piece of noir, but I had forgotten how um, true to that genre it was because I'd only seen it one time, like, what, 30 years ago? You know? Yeah. It's it's weird thinking that it's that old. Yeah. It, it is like, weird it, thinking it's it that came old. out, like, a little while ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, as I was watching it, I was like, man, I bet you he I do. I did really love it. Like, but as far as the the plotter, and I mean, it goes over from it starts in 1953 in Christmas, right? And uh, you you who does it open on? Does it open on uh, Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe. Yeah, you. No, it at, actually at the house. I f- as I honest, I thought it opened on Danny DeVito. It does open with it Danny does, DeVito yeah, giving a spiel. Yeah. spiel. That's right. And he takes us throughout some of the film as a, a narrator, which comes in and out of it, which is very interesting. Oh, super interesting. <laughs> Although I did really like the whole hush-hush thing. I like the hush-hush thing, too. Right. And now it played throughout the film. Right. So, um, yeah, we have... Homicide detectives, narcotic detectives, everybody like gets together on this one case that was the Night Owl murders. They think that they solved these murders, but they dig a little bit deeper into them and they find out that there's a whole other world going on that leads to both police corruption and, uh, and uh, help me out here, what, what am I looking for? Political corruption. Oh, right. You know, all led by two main bad guys in the film one of them is a uh investment millionaire who also runs this uh company called fleur de lis uh prostitution ring prostitution ring that uh he he cuts women to look like major stars and one of my favorite jokes in there and it was the lana turner joke (laughs) <laughs> that was pretty good it was a fun little bit it was a fun little bit I for sure bit a lot yeah it was a good bit a nice little business i mean there, there was a whole bunch of this film to enjoy even though it was a little bit dated that some themes that were a little suspect yeah there are some themes that were suspect in it but like overall highly enjoyable i would recommend this film full-throatedly though like I, I if someone was like, "Hey, I'm looking for a noir piece or something that like uh, scratches that uh, gritty itch," you know, sure. I, I would say 
Oh. I'd say LA Confidential. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Like, it still holds up for sure. So we're going to watch Mandy for next week. And goodbye.